Hello and welcome to the second episode of Animated Conversations. I'm your host Andy Williams. My guest today is Carl Webster, design evangelist, artist and illustrator who has been working with Adobe to create their Fresco app. I'm recording this intro after our chat and I have to say I found it to be a really interesting and thought-provoking discussion. We really cover the waterfront, talking about his career up to date, his work developing Fresco, and we even dip our toes into choppy waters to wrestle with the implications of AI and generative art. So without any further ado, let's get on with the show. I'm here with a very special guest, Carl Webster. Carl, could you um, just briefly introduce yourself to our listeners and um, give us a kind of a, a summary of your career to date? Sure. Okay. Uh, that's wow. Um, <laughs> how quickly can I do this? Um, well, thanks for having me. First of all, Andy, nice to be here and hello to everybody. And yeah, my name is Kyle Webster. I am uh, first and foremost, somebody who loves to draw. Um, and I currently work at Adobe on drawing and painting initiatives, uh, primarily helping with the Fresco team to develop and improve everything that we have with Fresco. I'm really excited and proud to be on that specific team because um, it focuses on what I love, which is drawing, and um, gets updated about every six weeks, which is very unusual for um, any app that we make. Um, And I also do uh, educational stuff. I do live streams where I um, show people how to draw and paint in Photoshop, Fresco, et cetera, and uh, learn about brushes, which may be the thing that people maybe know my name from more than anything, which is just that I made a whole bunch of Photoshop brushes, and um, those have been uh, passed around and used for many years um, in the industry, and uh, that makes me really excited and happy because a lot of times I make brushes and I have no idea what people are going to do with them, and then I'll, I'll find out that they're using them in some completely unexpected way, and it just uh, it's a delight to see how creative people are with those specific tools. Um, so to have, some, to have played some role in... Uh, the marks that people make for the art that I love to look at is really cool. The career, I don't know. I was a, I was a web designer for a little while. I got laid off in the big the big uh, you know when things fell apart there in the early two thousands, and I'm so glad I did because I hated web design and I was always drawing in every meeting. So that translated to me moving into uh, graphic design, working as an in house illustrator, then eventually leaving that job to start my own illustration business, and that's where I made the brushes. And eventually those were acquired by Adobe, and I came in as part of that acquisition to work on the drawing and painting stuff. And I've done a whole bunch of other things, but we don't have to get into all that. Uh, I just love to make things in general. So uh, books, apps, whatever, I've, I've tried it all. That's amazing. I've loved the Fresco app. Um, it's, oh, a, it's a fantastic uh, drawing tool. And it feels like a lot of your career kind of feeds into a lot of aspects from that, even to from the web design um, to the the educational aspect of it. What's the process behind the creation of that app? Because there's some features within that app that feel like they they kind of arise out of the way people might draw and and paint digitally with Photoshop. But then there are other features like the live paint aspect of it, which feel quite kind of unique, really. And just wondered yeah. if you could kind of talk a bit about the process of how that how that developed, really. Yeah, it, it all came about in an interesting way. We, we had these two apps that were uh, Adobe Photoshop Sketch and Adobe Illustrator Draw that were on the iPad. And um, people just kept saying, why do we have to have two separate apps for this? Can't you just do one? And so we said, sure. And we took 
the best of them both and combine them into one app. That was sort of the starting point for what was Project Gemini, which became Adobe Fresco. Um, it's no surprise and no secret to anybody out there that Fresco launched half-baked. Um, I think that a lot of companies, uh, Adobe included, sometimes will rush something out to at least get it started and get it tested in the market. Um, and uh, I think with, with Fresco, the issue was we released it and it wasn't yet um, rich enough in features for people to give it a proper go. And uh, the result of that was that we've spent the last calendar year or so trying to tell people, hey, by the way, um, we released this in 2018, but we've added over 100 features since then, literally. Wow. Um, we updated, like I said, every six weeks. And so, yeah, the process of creating it was, what can we build based on these other two apps that people like, um, get it out into the public, and then start building it based on their feedback? And I think this is one of the special things about it that I've enjoyed is that I just get to talk to artists all the time and uh, hear from them what features they want. We take them back to the team and we go, okay, what can we make? And so that's the result. Um, uh, what's that, what that's resulted in now is, for example, the animation features in Fresco being, um, and I, by the way, no shade to procreate. Love those guys, love what they make. Um, but one of the things that people said, hey, and I don't like having to deal with these layer stacks for animation. So we made animation in Fresco be tied into individual layers. Wow. You could have 20, 30, 50 different layers, each with their own animation timelines, and you can control your timing that way, and they can be off sync or on sync. And we also added motion paths, so you can draw something and it's treated like a sprite, and you can draw paths all over the screen. It will follow those paths. You can create multiples of those paths, have them scatter, sway, grow and shrink in size, all these sort of cool little automations that make it uh, easier and faster to do animation. Those ideas came from directly from our customers. Um, right. Same with the vector jitter brushes, which are a first drawing with vector brushes, but not having it be totally predictable with the quality of the line. That's yep. really fun. Um, things like uh, multicolor swatches, being able to select any area of your, your canvas and draw with multiple colors on the brush, um, create little custom brushes on the fly that way. And then you mentioned the watercolors and oils. Um, yeah, that was something that I thought in Photoshop was was lacking a little, was natural media emulation, which is why I started making brushes in the first place, to be honest. Um, but then being able to actually control things like the depth of the paint and how much it mixes and have lighting effects. And then with watercolor, have some nice wet blending effects and let it stay wet, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I really admire the, the engineers who worked on that stuff because I got to work with them literally sitting next to them with oils and watercolors and saying, see what this does? How can we make that happen with math? Um, yep. And I think they did a great job. I think there's still work to be done um, and we'll continue to improve on it and continue to build. And as long as people are enjoying those features, then we just keep making what they want. If they say yeah. they don't care, we'll not maybe develop it anymore. It depends on, yeah, yeah. You know, I can, it's a flexible process, yeah. I can, I can see that. And I think for me, I, I, there was a more of a kind of wow about the way the watercolor uh, moved. In some ways I felt that was, that impressed me more probably than the oil painting one initially, just, just because there's something magical about seeing that paint bloom across right. the uh, across the canvas and the motion uh, the motion paths again i felt that that was something that was really smart integration of of a technique that that a lot of people will be familiar with if they've used 
After Effects or any of the other apps, but it, it felt like it was really at home yeah, in the Fresco app. What kind of uses of it have you seen from people that are using the app that have really impressed you or kind of surprised you in terms of where they've taken it? Yeah, several things. We met some great artists at Max last year working um, on Nickelodeon, for example. There was one artist in particular who I thought it was so cool to see what his process was because what he does was, uh, is um, he'll draw parts of the SpongeBob animations he makes in fresco because he can use vector brushes, which are infinitely scalable. He'll animate little, little sections. So he showed us that he had this animation of somebody throwing a football and the football smashing into a pane of glass. He just animated that section in Fresco because it was so easy to use the motion paths and to have things scale and to use vector brushes. Uh, so he animated that. Um, and also because of reference layer fill. So with animation in Fresco, you could have your line art on one layer, create a separate layer and use the line art as a reference. And then not only can you tap to fill color really quickly and fill in all your frames, you can actually paint inside the reference layer with any brush. Um, so there's some really exciting things there. But this was just for efficiency's sake. He would do this, export that PNG sequence, and then in After Effects, he'd be combining that with other stuff he'd already animated. And so he has this cool hybrid method of, of um, doing animation. I just We didn't even know people were doing stuff like that. So it didn't occur to us that people would be for these you know, major um, properties using Fresco as part of the, um, as part of the, you know, in, in the pipeline there, so to speak. And uh, that was one thing that surprised us. And so we've been working with him um, lately to just ask more about like, what do they want us to do? Um, right, so really to integrate it with, within a kind of production pipeline, um, yeah. more yeah. kind of particularly intentionally rather than it being picked up and then kind of adapted for that. Yeah, and like there were things we thought might happen, didn't know if they would, but they are, which is that, you know, people like him, if they're working on a team, um, you can share files through Fresco. So it's because it's all cloud-based, if you start an illustration in Photoshop, it'll just show up in Fresco. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to import it. You don't have to go look for it. It just shows up in your files and vice versa. But you can also um, have shared files. So if I share a file with four or five different team members, when they open Fresco, it's just there. So we could all be working on the same file and iterating and then getting feedback. There's a section for comments, things like that. And so um, that makes it easy for him to talk to his director and just be like, what do you think about this? They can leave notes, comments on the actual file itself, and then they just go ahead and make those changes right away. Um, and it's auto-updated across all of your apps. Uh, so that was pretty cool. But the other thing I, I found was that people were really using the heck out of the multicolor swatch in really interesting ways for lettering art. So a lot of the viral videos we've seen specifically for Fresco are lettering videos where somebody will create a three-dimensional lettering effect where they'll just create a multicolor swatch and using that with just a basic hard round brush, um, they'll do some beautiful lettering and the three-dimensional effect that's created by the multicolor swatch uh, just looks cool. Great. And this is, this is something I don't think we set out to create a good lettering app. It just happens that lettering artists are taking to it. Um, and then again, with the vector brush stuff, it's nice to have vectors that you can manipulate later in Illustrator or whatever if you're doing lettering for uh, something like signage or, or logos and things like that. So um, it, it's cool that it's basically, we, we wanted creative professionals, pros, to be drawn to it, pardon the pun. Yeah. Um, but really we're hoping to also create something that a novice or a hobbyist or even just a five-year-old kid could open up and just play around with. Um, and I think we've done a good job of that. And um, 
the last thing I'll say about that is one of the very uh, interesting things at the last minute, I would say last minute is more like the last six months of development of the initial version of Fresco was we thought it'd be nice to have built-in learning content um, because people are going out to YouTube and searching for stuff for apps yeah. and everything. And so we baked in videos and walkthroughs in the app itself. And I think that's made right. a huge difference in people being able to pick it up and draw easily because if they have a question, they don't have to go elsewhere to, to have it answered. Great. It's all of there within the app. Something like Fresco, you feel like maybe somebody will take Fresco and create an animated kind of masterpiece, a sort of 10 minute animation using Fresco or kind of push it in a way that the people wouldn't anticipate really. And that's really exciting, I think. It's certainly possible. And I do think, I mean, we have to, we have to really give our, tip our hats to uh, Apple because the iPad as a drawing tool at first I thought, oh, well, this is a small screen, but the screen real estate um, coming from a big Cintiq uh, I got used to it so quickly and they did a good job designing the pencil and there are lots of modifications you can make if you want to have it feel different. Um, but I will say there's a lower barrier now for entry to drawing digitally. I mean, previously having to have a really high powered uh, desktop or laptop and then yeah. a Cintiq or some other drawing tablet. I mean, you're, you're, start, you're already looking at thousands of dollars no matter what you do, really. Yeah. Um, if you want to be able to draw comfortably and draw well. So as a drawing device, I think it's really opened things up for so many people. This, this, and the portability factor. I drew a whole 70 page book on an iPad because I was traveling so much a few years ago. Wow. And I was just drawing on the plane, drawing in the hotel. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this. This is kind of a dream. So yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely amazing. Um, so if you have good, good software and good hardware and it's really inexpensive, you know, I, I shouldn't say really inexpensive, but I mean, an iPad, Mini, I think, is what, uh, maybe 400 bucks. Um, but when you compare that to $2,400 from just, you know, 10 years ago, very different. It really is an amazing time to be somebody who draws digitally because you, you can do it anywhere and you have great apps to use. So nice. The iPad is one of those tools and Fresco and uh, Procreate as well that, that have been really embraced by animators and illustrators and storyboard artists. Yeah. It's just another tool that they can kind of pick up and use. This leads me on to something that I feel isn't quite as universally embraced by the storyboard artists or animators, and that's the advent of AI. Yeah. Which, unlike something like Fresco, I think it's seen as something that is more of a challenge for, for storyboard artists. I mean, we before the, uh, before the recording, we were talking briefly about the fact that I'd been to Annecy um, last yeah. week, the animation festival. And there was a discussion about uh, AI and real time. And there were some, some speakers there gave fantastic uh, talks and did a really good job, but the whole thing probably ran on. It took up so much time that the audience didn't really get to ask many questions. And one person asked a question, which was about, uh, he was a storyboard artist and- um, right. And somebody on the panel had talked about, he had talked about how they were using chat GTP and um, other uh, AI apps to both do script writing and to do storyboarding, which, mm. um, which for some of the members of the audience, they probably wanted more space to, to discuss what that meant for them. Um, yeah, rightfully so. And it, and it feels like it's quite a kind of, it's definitely a live and contentious 
discussion and probably needs to be in some respects. I wondered what what you could kind of talk about or what your thoughts were around that um, issue, whether whether those concerns are warranted or yeah, what your thoughts are really about uh, AI and how it intersects with visual arts and animation. Yeah, first I'd say, well, first I wish I'd been there. Second, um, yes, the, of course these concerns are warranted. Absolutely, and I would never question that. Um, and I too, as someone who enjoys the act of drawing, whether, whether for money or not, um, I like to spend my time drawing. Yep. Now, the beautiful thing about the world we live in is that uh, I could turn that into a career. I could turn that love for drawing into my way of making a living. And not just one way, but there are multiple ways to do that or have been until right th at this very moment we're facing where there is a very real possibility that if, this, if the current iterations of this technology are approved, embraced, and widely adapted, we could see the end of a time where um, a large number of people who share this, this interest, this passion for drawing traditionally, and when I say traditionally, I simply mean using their hand, making marks, whether that's on a digital tablet or on paper or painting, whatever, um, for commercial art purposes, uh, seeing them go away, go the way of the dinosaur in some respects. Now, I don't mean to be completely doom and gloom, but we've just seen in the past um, 24, 48 hours that Marvel used clearly and admitted to using an AI generation, image generation and animation tool for the opening credits of this latest um, show on Disney, which I've forgotten the name, Secret Invasion, I think. Yeah. Um, I think that's clearly a slap in the face of the artists who are on their staff or who typically work with them under contract, who could have, first of all, obviously created something superior um, because not to get too distracted by the ins and outs of how this all works, but any image, text to image or prompted image uh, work you're doing is a multiple choice exercise. Yep. And that is not what creation is when you are talking about sitting down, putting pen to paper and collaborating with other artists and directors and people. The, the act of producing something, where, whether or not people want to make the, what I think is a very thin and um, not watertight argument about, well, artists borrow from other artists all the time. I see this come up repeatedly and it drives me nuts because it's not even close to the same process. I, when I create an illustration, just because I happen to love the work of Milton Glaser and James Jean and Degas, it doesn't mean that I've somehow taken elements of all their work and fused them into my illustration by literally copying and pasting and then jumbling around. Yeah, um, it's just not the same process because no matter what you do as an artist, no matter how much you even attempt to copy and imitate the work of other artists, your own life experiences and your own um, emotional, the, the moment, how you feel in that moment, whatever you might have looked at in the past 24 hours, the weather outside, all these are factors in what you actually produce at the end of the day. Um, and that's not what uh, 
a computer does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think my kind of thought on that is, is it's kind of regurgitating something that already exists in a way that doesn't resemble the process by which somebody is inspired uh, personally by a work and wants to and and is influenced by that. The kind of there's a there's a real difference between an influence on somebody and the way yeah. that a machine or a program extracts something and then effectively gene splices um, the work of other artists together to create a new kind of <laughs> Frankenstein monster. Yeah, it's a false equivalence. I see it come up over and over again online. Um, and uh, it's one of those things like, you know, Donald Trump, the more he said something, if he said it 4,000 times, people started parroting and echoing it. Yeah. Um, and I've noticed that this is something that's happening with that specific argument is that as people by the thousands have said, well, it's just like the way artists have always worked, um, people just start parroting that and um, not really thinking about it critically and actually analyzing it and seeing it for what it is, which is just a lie. It's not how people work. Um, the other thing I've seen in defense of the current way that Midjourney, for example, works is, is people say, well, it's not really, it's not stealing the images and then just simply um, taking parts of them. It's actually learning, it's understanding what makes the image what it is, and then using that language to basically create something new, something quote unquote original. Um, this also is is a, a very weak uh, argument for trying to defend what is, it, in essence, scraping billions of images from artists who had never given permission for anyone to do so. And then, um, now, as we get into this, this is the, the legal stuff and so on. Um, I, I think there, there are a couple of things to, to, to look at in terms of like, how do you want to approach this and um, protect artists going forward? Do you want to do it through talking about the copyright infringements or potential copyright infringements? Because we haven't yet figured out whether or not this is going to hold water in court. We don't know. There are these ongoing suits and so on, and I, I don't know what's going to happen, so I can't predict. Is That's one way of going about it is saying, okay, well, are, do we need to not allow these engines to do what they're doing because the artists have not given permission? and because people could potentially monetize whatever they make with these tools without the artist getting a cut? Or do we want to go further and say, we should regulate this um, much more s strictly uh, all overall? Do we, mm -hmm. do we go and say, okay, governments of the world, please step in and um, create some, some boundaries because uh, even if some lawsuit in the United States is successful, and that does have some impact on how people see this stuff, it's in no way going to prevent bad actors from just continuing to do this and to exploit and to continue producing work and to, do, to just get it out into the world and have people who don't care about the original creators continue to purchase it or download it and use it for free or whatever. So. I'm worried about that not not having the impact we think it might. So, um, to get back to the person who was concerned about storyboarding, I have mixed feelings about that. Um, I know fr I have friends who storyboard, brilliant, amazing people who draw very fast, understand camera angles, understand how things are produced, understand directors, understand they understand so much, 
about what goes into making something um, work from a visual storytelling point of view, right? Yeah. Um, so they're bringing with them all this amazing knowledge and putting it onto the page in a matter of minutes sometimes if they're you know, really working under the gun. This is such an amazing skill. I want those people to stay employed. I want them to continue working. And also I think the movies will be better because yeah. of their, because of what they can do. Yeah. Um, we all know this. Those of us who work in the industry or are adjacent to it know this. Um, now, what do you say to a 14-year-old kid who wants to make a little movie with his friends? Should this kid have the access to ChatGPT and to some kind of auto storyboarding sort of thing to try and figure out what he's going to do with um, his little 15-minute movie he makes with his 14-year-old friends? I don't know. Where, where do you draw the line and how do you... How do you say, well, this use case is okay. They're not going to go make a million dollars or a billion dollars like a, a Marvel or some other major yep. studio. Um, so we, we allow this usage. But if you are a for-profit institution or business or whatever, and you are working you know, to produce content that people pay for, then no, you can't do that. Um, how do we even control that? I, I don't even know. Yeah, it's interesting. And it feels like there's a lot of stuff to unpick there because it's quite tangled up. Like you, I kind of can see, I can definitely see scope for it almost as an educational tool. Um, one of my big concerns with the, with the application of AI is that a lot of people learn by climbing rungs up a ladder. They'll acquire a skill for a process of attempting something, failing at something, struggling with something, and then triumphing over those difficulties to gain agency and mastery. Mm. Uh, and I worry that, that the, the AI effectively is a bit like an elevator that takes you to, uh, to the second floor without having to climb those rungs of, of that ladder, really. Mm. But I can see how AI could be integrated as a as in some ways to kind of to to help give a stepping stone for somebody that is learning to help to to give them an idea of how this process works but it's tricky because do you are you helping somebody learn or if it's doing too much of the work are you in some ways obstructing that process that they learn and acquire that skill so that so that's my fear on it and my other kind of concern is that I mean, I saw the thing from Secret Invasion and and for me, there's an aspect with a lot of um, stuff that's image generated from AI where I can I can see where it's come from. And it often has a, a look, mm -hmm. the homogenous look to all of the stuff that's outputted. And it is, you know, it's it's impressive, but but everything has that kind of same sort of veneer to it yeah, yeah, totally. um, and yeah and I and it doesn't kind of move me if you see people that post AI stuff on Instagram it often doesn't get very much engagement because because it all feels like it it looks very similar it looks the same uh, but my so I kind of almost feel like we need to save the studios from themselves in some respect yeah. because I feel like I don't think it would be in their interest to use it indiscriminately, even if the accountants might like it initially. 
Um, I agree with you, and yet I wonder what, how low does the bar have to be set for you to still be able to turn a profit and to have people come out and pay for what you're showing them. I mean, when I, when MTV had the real world first come out in the nineties, um, there was something new and kind of fresh and different about it. Like, oh, this is an interesting idea. These people are not really paid actors. There was less involvement and interference with the production crew. And then as of course, the seasons continued, they would start to create subplots and they would tell them, hey, you should really argue with so-and-so and you should, um, until basically what you wound up with was a, a glut of reality TV, which if you step back and look at it is such utter garbage and yet is mass, is mass consumed. We as humans seem to be willing to lower our standards um, and I don't know where the where the where does the bar it just seems to never drop far enough for us to go oh this is really bad we should probably we should probably try and expand our minds a little it's like and so when I think about that when I just see that tendency in human nature and in the progression of what we call entertainment okay over the past you know 30 40 years um, I worry that something like that secret invasion thing, we look at it today and go, oh gosh, that's terrible. Um, the technology gets a little better, uh, things are passable, and then we just accept a new normal after another five years and we get used to the new low quality garbage and we go, okay, that's fine with me, I guess. Um, when I say we, I don't mean people who create for a living and who love art, but for people who just kind of want to consume content because they're bored. Um, are there enough of those people in the world to justify Marvel laying off half of its art staff and using AI and still, if they're still profitable, will they? I, I This is the stuff I, that keeps me up at night because I just always wonder about at the end of the day, you know. My, my counter thought on that would be that even taking the example of um, the reality TV shows, I feel like a driver for their popularity is just curiosity about human nature, regardless of whether it is an authentic replication of human nature. But yeah. I think it's important that, 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 that those people kind of are real and exist. And, um, and you know, particularly at the early stage, I think that rawness was mm -hmm. probably what was made people curious. Um, and... And I think one of the things that AI has against it is the fact that there is no human interest to be kind of, to, to be satisfied. Hmm. Yeah, because, that's interesting. Because there's nothing behind that but hmm. a computer. And, and I think one of the other problems you have, you know, say, say if you could have a, a Marvel movie made entirely by AI. There's so much that, that people are interested about in terms of stories and storytelling and creativity. And part of it is that there's a storyteller behind the story. Mm. Uh, if there isn't a storyteller behind the story, does that affect people's kind of engagement with it? I hope so. Because then what, hope are you, what are you doing? Um, it, it becomes a, a little bit, it becomes very kind of detached from anything if if basically what you're consuming has 
has had very little human input on the other side. It feels like quite a cold exchange, really. Well, that's the magic of something like Toy Story, where if you watch it today, you, you can completely ignore the limitations of what the artists were working with in terms of what was possible with, with Render Man and with the animation, and which is what they could even render and, and do, because the story is about characters with, with real emotions and with feelings and um, motivations and... Uh, it's still a beautiful, timeless classic, and I, I love that about the best animated movies. Um, yeah, and, and it's amazing that you can you can just completely overlook that. Even even Wall-E, which I think is just a masterpiece. Uh, if you look at it now, you you can see when they're up in space and the people are sitting in their big bubble chairs and they're drinking their drinks. Um, yeah, it's just not even close to how things look in Frozen or whatever. Uh, and yet it's still just a great story and you don't even care. You're just so sucked into the characters. And, um, so I'm, I'm with you. I think the human behind the story, whatever the, that human is, is coming through to the other human receiving the story. Um, there's just no way around it because that human understands what humans respond to. However, what, what I, one thing I will say is I am concerned that you can train a, a, um, through machine learning, you can train an AI to understand how to get get an emotional response from somebody. Here's how you take your character through uh, a series of events that will make the audience care about them. Here are you know, the kinds of obstacles you throw in their face. Um, here's how you resolve those in a surprising way. It's all, you know, it's a formula. Now, whether or not um, that formula can be really effectively replicated without any human involvement remains to be seen. I'm with you, I don't think it can. I still think at the end of the day, human creation is what makes humans care about that creation. It's the human behind it. Uh, if I were to go to a ballet and see a bunch of robots dancing perfect ballet, I would leave immediately because I'm not impressed yeah. with their athleticism. I'm impressed with a human training their bodies and being able to do those movements and look the way they look and do what they do. It's fascinating. Um, in the same way that I look at a, a, a painting by Leonardo and say, well, that sfumato technique is insane. Yep. And you could train a robot to, to paint with those glazes, <laughs> um, but I don't care. I, yeah. I want to know that he did that. Um, but you know, that's me and that's you. And is that everybody? I don't know. Well, like I said, I've noticed that when people post, <laughs> there is an aspect when, um, when people post something on Instagram, when it's, it's obviously been created by a mid-journey or something. When, and they're kind of posting it, hoping for some kind of validation, and, and they don't get it. <laughs> and, applause, and they and they don't get it. Uh, and I think partly is people recognise that the effort that's gone into that um, doesn't right. necessarily warrant that. Um, well, that's something I, you know, or, and, and you'll get the counter yeah. example is when someone will say there's not much effort, and they go, well, you don't know how hard it was for me to, um, to yeah. program in these prompts. It was kind of, a, it was really tough. It took me a whole hour of prompting <laughs> and reprompting and then multiple choicing and look at what I got. Um, yeah. Well, hats off. Yeah, yeah, I, I know, I know. It's, uh, it, this is a, we could talk about this for six hours and I, I do think um, the concerns are warranted. I also think the fact that people are concerned and are very vocal about it is great we do have an opportunity, I feel like, as not just an art community, but as just society in general, 
to speak up and say, look, this technology could be used for so much good. And I do believe that. I do believe there are absolutely opportunities for this to be used for good, um, to be used to create tools that enable us to do good things as artists, as creators, as writers, as musicians, whatever. Not, but the whole thing about jumping to the end product, this whole bypassing the whole creative process as a way to try and present this technology as something good is completely wrongheaded. I don't like it. I think it's a huge mistake and I worry about it every single day. Um, yeah. but, but do we have the opportunity to do something amazing with this? I think we, there are these opportunities exist. It's just that, are we willing to do the hard work of being more creative, being more thoughtful and involving creators in these decisions as to what we make? Yeah. And I, and I think that's a kind of excellent point that you can see that there, this stuff could be applied to, uh, amplify or, or kind of to amplify some of the creative tools that people have at hand. Um, mm. But you don't want it, it. It kind of baffles me why anyone would get the excited about um, the idea that well, we can get AI to do all of the painting and the image creation. And and I'm just like, that's the stuff everyone loves doing. Um, yeah. Well, well, why? Why would you invent some, something that would kind of would mean that the stuff that people loved doing they wouldn't have to do anymore? Uh, it seems like yeah. a completely wrong way around. Not only that, but um, what a lot of people are missing in this, and I, when I see a lot of people, it's it's mostly people who just have never picked up a pencil in their lives to draw anything. What they are missing is that in the process, when you are so, let's say you say you gave an example of painting a background. Um, when I'm 50% of the way through painting that background, I may in that moment completely change my mind about something and say, oh, this is better. And then start painting differently. Or I'll, you know, you don't know when those moments are gonna strike. You cannot predict or plan for them, but they are often what leads to the better outcome. And yeah. this could be anything, writing, stories, um, but painting, drawing, especially, you know, I, I, it's all these things. But when you're in that, when you're in the thick of creating the thing, lots of amazing decisions get made spur of the moment you respond to what's on the canvas you respond to what you've written and ai doesn't do that it just tries to spit out a result and if you don't like it it spits out another one and you can't fake that part of the process because that that too is a human thing yeah um and so many people who've never got it into the trenches and tried to create something from scratch and worked on it for a while and um they, they don't understand that and they are missing that huge ingredient in the creative process, which leads to some of the best things we've ever seen. What I love is you hear interviews with creators all the time, movie and uh, film people who are like, well, I thought I was going to make a movie about blah, but it totally became whatever, Jaws, you know, yeah. I, but that's based on a book, bad idea, but bad example. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, Toy Story, that, that was a movie well, that... Yeah. Um, I mean, Woody was, Woody was kind of absolutely the bad guy at the start. He was the baddie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what's brilliant about that movie is that, um, if you kind of just list all of the stuff that Woody does, it still sounds like he's the baddie because, um, <laughs> particularly in Toy Story 1, he's kind of, um, he does some stuff that, yeah, it has to be Tom Hanks as the voice because you have to love him. But, uh, it allows Woody to do some stuff that's, you know, a bit borderline in terms of um, whether yeah. whether he kind of overstepped the mark a bit there. 
That's a great point. Yeah, um, I have that art book right behind me. I, I this is the thing too is that you know, as someone who just loves that process, I love seeing how the sausage is made. There isn't any sausage being made process when you look at this other stuff. It's just I, you typed a sentence and then you changed a few words and. I don't care if you spent six hours on it. It's still a multiple choice exercise. It's still, like you said, a regurgitation exercise. It's pulling from what it already knows and has seen before and just assembling it into something. And um, it's just not, it is not inspirational to me. It's not inspiring at all. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. The other thing that it doesn't do, and this might be an odd argument in um, against it, it doesn't, it's not gonna argue back. Um, Right. Um, no, it's not like you're gonna, you know, you, you can maybe have a, a designer or a, a storyboard artist or somebody that, you know, you'll ask them to, to try this, and they'll say, well, I don't really like that. Why don't we try this? It might be better. Um, and yeah. you know, there's a dialogue in that collaboration. There's a push pull, and 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 if you kind of invest all of that. Uh, into a machine the machine's not there's not going to be a push pull with the machine it's uh no. ultimately you're going to choose no and you're bringing up an interesting thing about what this could mean for teams that shrink because it is the input of all the individuals on the team that create the final product and you never know where a great idea is going to come from you could have an intern who's bringing everybody coffee listen in on a conversation and say hey what if uh, blah 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 and they go oh my gosh that's brilliant and it changes the whole course. You, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, this, this idea that you would reduce this the creation of these things we love to an individual sitting at a computer prompting into an engine um, and expect to get anything approaching the greatness of a lot of the things we've loved and consumed for years is is crazy. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's the it's to have tools that kind of really enable that collaboration and process that they don't just take you straight to the kind of, they don't take you straight to the end of the journey without having all of that um, collaboration in, on that kind of process, really. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, well, another thing I'll say about it that I, and just, just quickly, but something that has bothered me a lot, and I don't know how they got away with this, but, but I have seen people online trying to paint artists as somehow these elitist people who have been guarding art, keeping it all to ourselves. But now this is democratization of creating art. Now everybody can create art as if we were somehow given access to things that nobody else had access to when this is a ludicrous thing, but it has caught fire and I can't believe people are picking it up and running with it because no, all we did was sit down because we like drawing and do it for thousands and thousands of hours and get good at it. Like if you want to learn how to play the oboe, you're not going to pick it up. There's no AI that's going to be like, here, play oboe. Um, we don't say to oboe players or, well, you know, those oboe players, yeah. I can't believe how they've been guarding that oboe skill all this time and keeping it from the general public. Well, now guess what, suckers? We can play oboe too. That is a crazy yeah. idea, but it's actually gained traction. And I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and um, no, I mean, I kind of, I don't, uh, I don't normally go for this kind of rhetoric. But there's also an element where, within that, it's the kind of, you know, it's the person in charge of all. It's the person in control at the top of the company that I don't know. They they benefit really from that 
mm-hmm. process sometimes because it's bringing everyone down to this level where before where you could kind of invest in your skill and that could then give you some agency. Mm. Uh, all it does is rob everyone of agency apart from the company owners. And and I don't mean that yeah. the, I don't think uh, I don't think everyone at the top is looking to do that. It's more that argument. All that argument is doing is is it's kind of enabling people that are going to exploit people and go for the the lowest common denominator. They're kind of enabling them, really. By yeah, that, I feel. Yeah, I would love. I would just love to see. Um, I mean, this this whole thing about. It's already out there. We can't ignore it. Um, well, you may as well just accept it. I don't believe that. I, I think, yes, it's already out there. And yes, the technology certainly isn't going to go away. It's only going to improve. Um, and by improve, I don't mean necessarily improve things for us. I mean, it will just get better at what it does. And uh, But um, I totally believe that it only takes one or two companies or people who have some real influence and can really move the needle to show us another path to say, this is, this is how we can do this um, ethically. This is how we can do this and still support the creative community. I want that to happen. I work for a company, I work for a tech company and I always think, you know, can we do that? And I see efforts being made to do it, but then I think we're not going far enough. I, I don't think it's enough. Like to say that we, we don't train on any um, images that we don't have permission to train. Well, legally that's true, but is that enough? We're still just building text to image. Um, I want to see more stuff like recolor. I don't know if you saw recolor that came out a week yeah, or two ago. Like that's what I want to see. I want to see AI tooling that makes me as an artist get excited about my process and I still get to draw, I still get to make things, but I can do it with superpowers, but I'm not skipping steps in a way that I'm skipping steps that I love. If I'm applying flat colors to something and it's a tedious process um, and I can shuffle through some options, yep. fine. Maybe I'm a colorist for comics and I'm like, all right, I just want to try this with a different mood. I put my flats in. I want, to set, I want to try some moods. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Um, did I just take work away from myself? Uh, no. But... And, and, you, and you also didn't kind of... You weren't, you weren't exploiting the, the work of somebody else as right, well. Right, not at all. That's um, the beauty of that. that. That's the beauty of that kind of feature. I was talking to... I've been talking to people um, at Adobe about, like, you know, I make brushes, but... I'm not opposed to AI generated brushes if the user can, for example, I would love to see us do something like, let's say I'm using a very specific brush and I'm like, you know what would be cool is if I had two or three other brushes that were complementary to the kinds of marks I'm making. Great. I don't know what those could be, but I just literally with my voice, I don't even have to, I just say, hey Photoshop, get me two brushes that will play nicely with these two, I wanna try them out. And then not, I'm not, not into those. Let me try some other ones. And it just shuffles through the library of brushes we've already created and then goes a step further. And I say, okay, this like that, but with a canvas texture. Okay, cool. I like that. And then yeah. start painting with it. That to me is a kind of use of machine learning and AI that is exciting and, and just opens a whole floodgate of opportunities. I mean, if you start thinking along those lines, making tools 
four artists, then you got some interesting stuff to think about. Yeah, and that, I mean, just that description, I can see it, that opens up a lot of exciting possibilities and and isn't derivative of of somebody else's work, really. I mean, it, it gets away from that jukebox aspect of AI sometimes where mm-hmm. somebody's just, you know, yeah. coining a machine and then it's... Uh, and then it's spitting out this image that's that it, yeah it's kind of it's finding tools that kind of amplify and speed up the process that somebody's already um, operating within and I have seen some compelling examples internally and externally where for example uh, if you're a portrait photographer and you've taken a portrait in portrait um, uh, orientation and you all of a sudden are like, well, uh, the client now wants this as a landscape. The fact that you could generate information on either side of that portrait and have it actually look correct. Yeah. Um, I could see that being useful in certain cases. I can see that being, you know, something that a photographer could take advantage of. On the other side of it, though, what I see is that me as a photographer, I give the client the photograph, they pay me for the photograph, but then they go on and generate a landscape version themselves and I don't get paid. So again, this is where you keep bumping up against this problem of who is using this, who does not any can no longer make the money they've been making up to this point professionally as a result. And so this is yeah. always gonna be this thing. And I, I, I don't, my brain isn't big enough and I'm not smart enough and I don't have a crystal ball and I just can't solve these problems and I don't know what to do but, except worry about them. But I also want to help. I want to help build good stuff. I just, like everyone else right now, it's moving so fast I can barely keep up. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the good things about um, this debate, though, is you referred back to an argument that I've heard often, which is, well, it, it is what it is. Suck it up. This is the yeah. way. This is the way it's going to be. And my response to that was: I remember when people were making that argument about the fact that you couldn't have copyright on YouTube. That everyone was just going to have to live with kind of never-ending piracy of content. Um, you know, yeah. suck it up. That's the reality. And and it changed because because people yeah. had another argument and um, and people felt strongly about it. And I think that's why it has to be a proper debate about it. There's, there's, there has to, everyone has to have an opportunity to kind of make their case really. And the, that argument that, that kind of really tries to censor anyone from having a discussion on just, I just don't think that holds any water really. Well, when I think of people who can help, artists specifically, I think about the music industry. If we, if the music industry could say, all right, we are going to stand up for the rights of not just musicians because we have these catalogs and catalogs of music that make us millions of dollars and we're going to protect our copyright etc we're also going to align ourselves with the interests of the visual artists of the world and of the because i'm trying to think of other industries that have that much power and really i can't think of any the music industry's got the money they have in the past been the ones who set these precedents for how Copyright usually, you know, works at least for for usage up to ten seconds, that kind of stuff. All the things they've yep. done, um, and they have the lawyers, and they have a lot a lot of power. The visual artists of the world, we've always been the ones who are at the bottom, unfortunately, like just trying to get our voices heard and trying to get somebody to step up and pay attention and and fight on our behalf. And it has never been easy. I would love to see 
a giant like the music industry step in and be like, whoa, let's put the brakes on this and let's talk about what we're going to do to protect our fellow creatives who may not be making music, but they're just as valuable to um, the culture. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, that, you, can cool. see that you can see that's happening with music, with the stuff like the Eminem shutting down the use of AI to copy uh, his voice on tracks because there's an element where it's kind of identity theft as well even if even if they're saying it is ai you're kind of trading off of the legacy of somebody else i think the big difference is that historically artists have just had less in the way visual artists have had less in the way of a, a cultural representation and agents than the music industry mm. um, and i think you can also see an aspect of that with the writer's strike, which is writers have agents and are yeah. being represented. So there's there's a big structure around those industries and that representation I do think kind of makes a difference. I read one time that there was a reason that artists or illustrators couldn't unionize and I don't remember any of the specifics or anything but it's it's crazy to me that that doesn't exist yeah yeah i'm not sure really what the reason is for that but but i think that has a big bearing on why some of the rights of visual artists have maybe been treated a le less respectfully than recording music artists yeah yeah um I, well you know again if all the artists were to suddenly go on strike and say we're not going to draw I wonder what would happen. I mean, I wonder if that would make a difference. I think it would. I think, yeah. but you'd have to get everybody to do it. And that's so difficult. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure what the answer is, but I think definitely to continue having that kind of dialogue and debate is kind of essential, really. We could kind of talk about AI, I think, um, for hours and hours. So I wondered what you're kind of working on at the moment that you can talk about that you're kind of really excited about. Yeah, more, well, certainly more Fresco stuff. Um, you know, we just continue to add features that people ask for, and that's what I love is I just, I love drawing, but I'm really interested in making tools. And these are not AI-assisted tools. These are just tools. We're just building stuff into the app that does make things faster, make things easier, make things better. Um, I love that I could now bring a photograph in uh, from anywhere and just instantly generate a perspective grid based on that photo. I just hit one one button, boop, and it just sets the whole canvas based on that photo. Yeah. One point, two point or three point perspective. And so I could extend then the boundaries of that canvas and add on to it. So for concept art and stuff like that, you have a sliver of something, you want to extend it, you want to build more. I, that to me is a cool feature. Um, totally, nobody's even nobody even knows it's in there. Great. This is, I think the awareness problem is something that I'm working on. I try and make more videos and try and make as many little tutorials as I can, but I'm just one person, you know, with my yeah. little social media following. So whenever I get to talk about this stuff, I get excited because I think that even if just one more person in the world discovers that you can do this thing and that helps them with their work, then that's so cool. Just last week, uh, I got to make a brush for somebody at Netflix who was working on a project. Amazing. And they had lost they had lost all their brushes, and it happened to be a brush that they had tweaked to fit what they needed. 
And so what they were able to do is send me a screenshot of some, some brushstrokes they had done with it back before they lost everything. And I got to go on a video call with them and draw and then say, what about this? And is, you know, and describe how it felt to use it and then go back to my Cintiq and Photoshop and create custom tools for them and email them to me. And now they're like, yeah, back to drawing. That kind of stuff, oh, it's so cool when that happens. Um, I just feel like, hey, I'm part of the process, you know, and that's, uh, but for, yeah, on the Adobe side, the education thing is interesting to me and I'm, I'm getting much more involved in that and we'll be doing more of that in the fall. I'm going to be shifting gears a little bit with K through 12. So kindergarten wow. through 12th grade, grade school, um, trying to really bring education into the curriculum at schools, help them use things like Fresco and Adobe Capture where they can use a phone or, a, or an iPad and they can create art and build okay. themselves little assets and art tools for themselves. Um, and also just really talk about the fundamentals of drawing. So less ne necessarily about digital drawing, yeah. but just about shape and color and composition and, and um, all those wonderful things. I just, those, that's all the stuff that's near and dear to me and I always want it to be part of what I'm doing. And is that, and is that a great app in a way I'd imagine for that because yeah. one, you know, you're, you're introducing them to so many different materials in terms of the way it simulates kind of watercolors or different brushes. Uh, and then also if they want to follow that path into more tools animation, it provides that kind of doorway there as well for that, which um, is amazing. Yeah, I love, I love that we can do very, very simple animation. You can get much more complex if you want, but to demonstrate for them how to do motion in just a couple of steps, literally 30 seconds, and then have them go play with it is so satisfying. We did that at, at Lightbox last time. We had some kids who stopped by and just had them move stuff around the screen using the motion paths. And it was, they were just having a great time. And, um, you know, for particle animation too, you want to do some snow falling or some rain, it just takes it two seconds. Um, so that that is interesting to me. I'm curious to see how that will go. Um, so I've got some new folks to talk to over there and I'm excited about that. Uh, I was just going to ask whether, um, whether you're kind of interested in exploring more of the animation side within, um, within Fresco and kind of in terms of your own work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are a couple of features that um, I have proposed and others have proposed that are on the list. And uh, these are things that might sound simple to build, but you know, they take some work. But I can tell you that one thing is that we had this ability to have things sway. And I said, well, it'd be great if I could draw a bicycle and just have the wheels spin 360 and keep going and have that be a repetitive element. I don't want to have to draw that and do frame by frame. And so we're adding things like full rotation and being able to change the speed of the rotation independent of how many frames you have per second in the animation. And um, so things like rotation and, and um, more scaling things where you can decide for something to scale along a path from beginning to end and have a stopping point, um, how big it gets, how small it gets, and have other things move independently in terms of what each animation layer will do. So for example, I could have one animation that's set to do boomerang animation, right. um, and that's on one layer. But in the same document, I can have another layer that will do something that loops, and then I could have another layer that has animation that starts and ends and maybe repeats a certain number of times. And to have this all happen in one file is 
huge. And so these are things that the engineers are working on now. I can safely say that that's, I'm not giving away any major secrets there. There are some other things I can't talk about, but um, animation has continued to be one of the things that we hammer on because uh, we get a great response um, from what it's doing. I know a lot of people that work in illustration and because a lot of publications and magazines have ended up going online, the illustrations have started to move. Yes. If you're, if you're doing an illustration for, for the New Yorker, yeah. um, often you're, they'll, they'll want the illustration to have a little bit of animation if somebody's looking at it on their mobile device. That's the best thing about um, the animation, the way it works in Fresco is that this now makes it possible for artists who don't typically do animation, don't want to deal with a lot of frame by frame and other stuff, and they also don't want to plan for it. I love that I could create a static illustration and then later a client could tell me they want something to move. Yeah, and because sense. of motion pads, I can literally select an area, duplicate that onto a separate layer, and then add a motion path to it and have it just do a subtle movement maybe subtle grow and shrink. Um, I could have, if it's like an outside thing, add a couple of birds and have them fly up in the sky. I could do that in 20 seconds um, and then send it to the client and ask for another hundred bucks. You know, I that to me is the way it should be. Those are the kinds of things I wanna build. Um, make sure artists are getting paid for their time, but also not um, having to do extra work they don't have to do. So. And I think, I, and again, like not to go back to it too much, but I do think you can do that with some AI stuff, but we're just yeah. not doing it yet, but I think we can. And I think it's possible to get there. If anybody can do that, it's definitely Adobe. I just want to see us do it. Great. And then I'm sorry, I cut you off before when you were going to talk about your own work that you're. Yeah, so I, I mean, I'm always, I've always got stuff going on on the side because I want to make my own stuff. So um, I made an app called Lines of Zen, which is a, meditative drawing app. And right. it took two years to build with a friend of mine. And um, I draw because I love drawing, but I also noticed that drawing makes me feel calm and kind of removes me from all the other stuff going on in the world. And it's really a, a great mental health exercise without me actually meaning for it to be. Yep. So I wanted to create an app that people who don't draw uh, could feel comfortable using where they don't have to have any skill. They can just do these drawing exercises for three or four minutes and get some benefit from it in the same way that I do from drawing. And um, that's really the whole idea of the, the app in a nutshell. And uh, it's going well, um, like anything, and I don't have time to <laughs> promote it and market it and do other things, but I'm just glad it's out there and we made it and people like it. So occasionally I'll go in there and I'll, you know, advertise it or whatever, but um, make a new little exercise for it so we keep it updated. But um, yeah, I never get tired of making new things. And I'm sure you're the same way. And, and any of us who are makers, um, we can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again. We gotta try new things. And that's what gets us up in the morning and gets us excited is, oh, I've got this new project, you know? Um, the hardest thing is finishing them, right? <laughs> yeah, um, it's like that. What's that line about nothing is finished, it's only abandoned? Uh, <laughs> I never heard that. Yeah, and there's... I like um, that. I think, yeah, that rings true of kind of quite a lot of projects. Oh, no, no, let me just kind of add a little bit. And it's just like, no. That's, I've never heard that. I would want that on a t-shirt. That's really good. <laughs> well, that sounds like a great place to end it. Not that we're kind of abandoning the, uh, uh, the discussion. <laughs> so thanks so much for your time. It's been a really, really good um, conversation. 
Just for the listeners, where's the best place for people to follow you on socials? Oh, my website is kyletwebster.com. It's not totally up to date, but that's fine. I'm at Twitter, at uh, Kyle T. Webster. And on Instagram, um, at kyle.t.webster. And then everywhere else, Kyle T. Webster. Tumblr, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, let's connect. <laughs> great. Well, thanks very much again. That's been a, it's been a great discussion. Thank you so much, Andy. I really enjoyed it. Thanks again to Kyle for a great conversation. Please like and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. <laughs>